Hello, Hello and welcome everyone to the Galit Speaks podcast. Um, I have an awesome guest today, Joey Pagano. Uh, he is a licensed social worker, therapist, professor, and certified recovery specialist with over a decade of experience in the drug and alcohol field. He's a recovering addict who's an author of three books, including No Addict Left Behind. It's a recovery medicine state of mind, which will release 6623 in stores and online. His personal story encompasses the clinical, medical, and personal experiences of the stigma of addiction and recovery medicine in our country. Hi, Joey. Thanks for being on. Hey, glad to be here. I just look forward to the show, Glee. Awesome. Yeah. So I have so much to ask you. Um, so first of all, mm-hmm. what made you get into this line of work? You know, I, I believe that, uh, you know, my struggles don't, they don't define me. They've refined me kind of like who I and who I am today. You know, I would have never chose any of this. It kind of my, my past kind of like shaped all this and just, you know, set me into, uh, you know, uh, set me in motion to, to where I'm at now. Like social work isn't something I believe that's something that, that we choose as humans, right? It, it's something that like it, it chose me, right? So that's kind of how I got here through those hard won experiences and, and I wouldn't trade any of it. Wow. So were you addiction start and did you think you were going to go on a completely different path before that happened? Yeah, I, you know, you know what addiction just it, it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy how that happens. You know, addiction just, you know, starts very young, like even before the drugs, you know, where like the seeds of addiction were planted long before I picked up anything. And, uh, you know, from the we just say from the trauma of, uh, of, of being a child and, and, you know, coming growing up with the dogma that uh, authoritarian parenting style where just things need to be, you know, done in a certain way, getting bullied uh, throughout high school, like all this stuff kind of just set it in motion, um, you know, trying to escape in the military, uh, just, just doing all these things, but like addiction was there and addiction just, it, it just gets, gets hold of you. And it, you know, it just like, you know, uh, it was like the evolution of, of my addiction. And as I grew up, you know, I, I used for like 21 years. I always say that uh, in, in a good way to uh, someone to conceptualize addiction, you know, um, it, it, it's like hell isn't just somewhere you could possibly go. It's something that I carried around for 21 years. So it was just somewhere where I lived in those, you know, uh, uh, those horrible places and, and, you know, not happy with myself and just wanting to die, slowly committing suicide and, and addiction just, it just takes you. And uh, I couldn't escape I just couldn't escape. And uh, so many times I, uh, I tried to, I tried to kill myself so many times. I just wish this madness would end and I just wanted an escape. But like I said, his life had, uh, it had other plans and I, uh, you know, I survived. Yeah. So you mentioned you had um, an authoritative kind of parent. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like, a lot of times there's a stigma around addiction that it's something that 
Um, it's when you grow up in a horrible situation, which in some cases it is, mm -hmm. but um, we, we associate it more with people who are not uh, wealthy, who are not educated, and that's completely not the case. Mm -hmm. What was your childhood like? You know, I uh, I grew up in this family. It was, it, I grew up from a good family. Okay, it was uh, like a middle class family. But like I said, as I, I I came up with, you know, getting I was just different in high school. Right? Different in we'll just say elementary and 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 someone that that you know, it, it, Joey, you were reminded from your parents. Like you know, I come up where. Like I said, I have a relationship with God and everything, but I was like, it was almost like I was chastised. You know, you need to remember it's because of God, this has happened. And then, so you have that whole bit. And then you have, you know, um, you know, going to Catholic school, just all the things where it's just these, this dogma we have in our world. And when I think of the word dogma, I think of a rigid, unbending doctrine. You do it this way or the other way is not right. So all that, and 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 then I, I had my family, and, and they're just reminding me things just had to be, and and when you when you come up with this with these doctrines, when you come up with this stuff where authoritarian parenting style is built on this stuff, then you know you have a perfect storm for uh, addiction. You have a perfect storm for for uh, mental health disorders to develop with anybody because. As a human being, right? As a human being, I, I live in a like a dark corner where, in that perfect storm, um, you just feel feelings of not good enough, and and you know, and I don't want to glamorize addiction, but in one sense, addiction kind of kept me alive. You know, addiction kept me for for whatever it's worth to not commit suicide, right? Because you have all these all this trauma and just feelings of of low self-worth, low self-esteem, and then you're getting bullied day after day. You just want that madness to stop. So addiction kind of just numbs that pain enough to get through. Not that it's any kind of healthy coping method, right? So someone would, right, and, and, and they turn to this unhealthy coping method and they find out where you know, with addiction comes a lot of consequences, comes a lot of, right? It's like trying to solve a problem by creating another problem, right? And now you have an addiction. And listen, I didn't even know I had an addiction, nor did I know what recovery was or anything of that matter. So when you don't know what addiction is and you have this perfect storm for, for all this stuff happening um, and you're just gripping on any coping method, what ends up happening is, you know, you think maybe I have, a, I'm, I'm just a bad person. I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, it's like the undiagnosed addict, right? You're just clinging on to anything. And that's what I did for decades because I, di I didn't know that there was a thing called, you know, we'll say the slang words like dope sickness, right? And we know it in the clinical world is like opiate withdrawal. I never knew what that was. I didn't know any of that stuff. I just, I just wanted the pain to numb. I wanted to get through periods of my life and just feel that I was enough and feel like, and it's hard to feel that way in authoritarian parenting style. It's very hard. You know, you just, you, you get locked in these corners and it's just hard to get out of them. And, and I was just, I'm just different. 
I'm the complete opposite. I'm the antithesis of my parents, right? They are, uh, you know, I don't want to bring, let's say politics in it, but like, you know, my mom's a, a very hard conservative, you know, like a Bible belt, we call them conservative. I'm a, I'm a liberal, right? Like I, and that's just who I am. And, and there's nothing wrong with either of them. But when you have those, those different, like our own doctrines and just like being who we are, you have stuff that clash. I parented, I, my wife and I parent my child a very authoritative way and my parents did the opposite way. So I try, like, we're just different and we're, there's no better, no worse. So what I'm saying is like a lot of, we, we, we think in the clinical world, you hear of like a, a cognitive dissonance. That means with, with, when I have stuff in my spirit, you know, and, and in my soul, right? The stuff that I believe and we should get, you know, my, my belief system was shaped on all these, uh, these ideologies. And what happens is, is you, when you go through life like that, you have stuff that just, you don't agree with. And, and it doesn't mean it's any, once again, better or worse. It just, you know, it, it's why like we're all different and, and diversity is our strength. It's not our limitation. So all this stuff, like I said, was a perfect storm for addiction, right? It's like, what else is there? You know, you don't even know that it, there's anything wrong with it, but it makes you feel well, right? It, it makes me feel better. And that's what I thought. I didn't understand that I was going to get dope sick, that I was going to go through opiate withdrawal if I used heroin. I didn't understand that if you numb the pain a lot, you know, for years and years, and you're going to have unfelt feelings that you're going to have to go through those feelings that you're going to have to, like I says, if you don't die from an overdose and you survive all that, like, like, you know, it, it's going to take, it take a while for you to progress through like, you know, some of the, uh, you know, systems of our life, you know, as we go through that. And, and like, elite, I didn't understand any of this stuff, but I, I, I was a survivor of a catastrophe called addiction. And I was merely surviving. And I, like I said, as I overdosed, you know, a million times it felt like I, I wanted to kill myself every other day. And I, I just wanted to be okay with me. And it's hard to be okay with me when you're going through all these, you know, you have all this, this, this storm of, of stuff going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what was your rock bottom? What, mm. what turned the tide for you? You know, I remember, um, and this is after decades of using, this is after, you know, uh, this is after going in the army, getting, getting thrown out of the army with an other than honorable discharge, receiving that, like, it was like a scarlet letter of a discharge, um, and not knowing you're an addict. This is after getting dropped off. It's like, you're kicked out of the military and we're going to drop you off at the interstate outside the base. And we're going to make you walk 30 miles as a 20 year old male and, and not knowing what you're doing, where you're at, what's going on 2000 miles away. This is after coming back to Pennsylvania and using for like, I don't know, maybe 15 more years in pure hell. This is after failing marriages, right? Cause you just want a relationship and you don't know what's wrong with you. This is after losing, uh, you know, not being able to see your son, abandoning your son, you know, uh, you'd sell anything for the next one. Addiction was king. This is after like story after story of degradation, not showering, not eating, burning all bridges. Nobody wanted to be with you, just wishing to die. So that, that kind of like it's a pain the, for, for, for the audience to paint a picture on that. I uh, 
the end went like this. And, and I woke up one day, you know, I was at my, my parents' house, which I, I kind of was like, I was like a terrorist in my own, you know, in their house, right? You pretty much keep my parents hostage. And uh, the disease of addiction was like a troll sergeant. It said like, it, you, wake up, Joey. And I just, I got up and I just, I put my clothes on, which was, you know, I, I had like nothing at that time. I barely had any clothes, any possessions. And, and I said, yes, sir. Right. I just salute the disease and I wake up and I march for the disease of addiction. And I got to get one more, whatever that one more was. And I march out and I, and I didn't have any money and I didn't know what to do, but I wanted to die. You know, and I had like the left side of my brain trying to sell me an idea and the right side trying to buy it. Right. And Joey, you can't be sick today. And I said, yes, sir. And I kept marching down the street and I got, I, you know, I'm, an, I, I'm from a small town, 3000 people. Everybody knows what, you know, everybody's doing. They all know what I look like. And my iconic, right. Uh, my iconic image of me was like wearing a hoodie. I wore a hoodie everywhere I go. Right. That's why I put that on the cover of my book, because it really personifies like the, the, the attic, the, the who I was. And I wore that I wore that hood and I marched down and uh, I didn't have any money. And the disease said, Joey, you're going to go in that gas station and you're going to take that money and you're going to get high and you're not going to be sick today. And I said, yes, sir. And I just wanted to die and I wanted to get out of there. And I went in and I robbed a gas station. Right. I left. I ran out, right? I'm running down the street. I got high and I and I kept going. I kept walking down the street and I uh, just wanted to die. I said, listen, this needs to be over. This needs to be the final days. I can't do it anymore. And so what I did, I sat down on the sidewalk. And it was crazy because it was right across the street from the police station. And I just sat down and uh, somehow I had a phone. I, I had a phone left in the dark days of addiction. And uh, I picked up the phone, I called my mom and I said, mom, I'm sorry. I failed you. I, I, this is, this is it. I says, I'm killing myself. I can't take it anymore. Tell dad, I love him. You know, tell my kid, like, I, I can't do it. And I, and I apologize for not being a good enough father and, and son and, 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 you know, and everything I, I'm, I failed and she's screaming, no. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I gotta, do, I can't take it no more. It's going to be worse. I can't stop. And she just, you know, I'm hanging down the phone, I'm hanging up the phone. And, and, and I remember like her screaming so loud as I was reaching down the phone and, and I just slammed it down and I just, I looked down at the ground and, and I just felt like just, just dying right there. And, uh, and I remember just raising my head and sweat. Uh, I was just sweating so bad and, and I was so, so anxious and, and my stomach was in, uh, in knots. And, uh, and then I, I looked up in the air and uh, in the sky and, and I, it felt like I was getting carried across the street. And I'll never forget that moment as long as I live. And I, I, you know, I walked across the street somehow and I, and I went into the side entrance of the police station and I walked in there and I, uh, you know, I, I saw the detective and the, and the, and the chief and, and I, and I said, listen, I'm, I'm, this is, this is me. I did this crime and, and I can't take it no more. And if I use again, like I, I feel this is the day before I die. And, uh, you know, I walked in and they, I didn't think I'm like crazy, right? But they knew, they knew, they seen the pain in my eyes. They seen the tears, right? And and and, and they knew. And I remember the the, the chief just putting his, he's kind of like, he, he put handcuffs, but he put his arm around me and like, 
you know, and he took me and, and, and I knew I, I was able to finally the, the stop getting busy dying and I was able to get busy living. And, uh, you know, that, that was it. And I've been clean ever since. Wow. So do you, was it, uh, did you go to jail or like, and that's where you got clean? Did they give you any kind of treatment? Um, did you get some therapy there? What was, what was the process of getting clean for you? Well, I, I, uh, I went to jail and I got a lesser sentence because it was, you know, I turned myself in and, and, and I got, you know, I was in there, I got sent to a drug problem, you know, because I like, you know, I raised my hand and I, and I told the judge whenever I, that process was going, I, you know, I, I can't stop using and I just want help. And I, you know, I went through that whole process of, of treatment and therapy and, and I went through that and, and spent a couple of years in there and, and that's what I needed. And I, and I needed to like reflect a lot. And, uh, like I said, I got arrested the day before I was going to die. And I, and I believe that. And I, and I remember like going through all that process and, and getting out and I had to, uh, you know, I, I got out and I had to make a decision. Like, what was I going to do? And, and you know, the, you get out of jail and like the disease of addiction says, listen, like you could do it again. Maybe you could use again. We're going to try. We're going to put a twist on this. And, and and maybe you could just try something different. You you Listen, Joe, you could do it. And, you know, the disease of addiction is very powerful. And uh, yeah. and uh, I had to make a choice. And, 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 I, and, I, and I decided to, to get busy living and, and running in recovery. And, and I really haven't looked back. And uh, like I said, everything was different. You know, I got out and I, you know, I outpatient therapy again and and you know i i became i got active in um just being a service in my town and and i got excited about recovery listen we got this uh there's this nonprofit group okay it's called club serenity inc and uh you know they're they were small uh you know uh, pretty much just like a 12-step recovery house uh oh, sorry clubhouse at the time so i get out and I, I, I acquire some friends that are all in recovery. And then I found myself becoming the president of this nonprofit entity. And and listen, like I got excited and I wanted to be a service. And um, I'm running around this, the, our, our, we'll say like maybe 20,000 person community of like maybe six community towns at all. We're in this place called the Mon Valley. It, it surrounded this river called the Monongahela River. So it was a community. And um, listen, I got a car um, and, and, and like I get this red Dodge Dart and I got this, uh, I got it all decked out with these, these the full car deta- decals. And I had like this Phoenix on it rising from the ashes like an attic. And I got these hands on the hood and I look crazy and I'm driving around just helping people. And I, and like, listen, if you were using drugs in around 2013 to like 2016, I was the last person you want to see. I'm there just saving people and throwing them in my car and taking them to treatment and and just getting excited. Listen, I I learned I, I didn't have any kind of really college or any kind of skills like that. I didn't have any legal skills. I I watched YouTube and learned how to uh, write uh, legal paperwork. Like I filed our 501c3 from just teaching myself how to do it on YouTube. I, I wrote grants from YouTube. I, I wrote business plans. Um, you know, I was filing paperwork to, to have a recovery house. I was, 
I was visiting, listen, I, I, my, my one friend, Lee Roberts, I, I remember I had a conversation with him and I said, listen, we got to make a difference. We got to do it all. And I, I don't know what to do. He said, Joey, this town needs something and you just might be the something we need. And I remember, and I went to the city council and I just, you know, I'm, I'm talking for addicts and at the city council and advocating without being a social worker, without knowing what social worker, social work is. And, and I'm just speaking and, and, I, and I'm taking a stand and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping to save lives and I'm becoming like an instrument of, of just recovery. And I did that for, you know, several years and, and, and running around and, and just making a difference and just trying to be like a recovery soldier in the area. Um, like that's how it was. That's how it was, Khalid. And I, and I was just used as this person to like make a difference. Yeah. 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 So what, uh, what made you take the next step into social work and becoming licensed? Mm -hmm. It was so exciting. And, just like looking back, it's just still, you know, I, I couldn't even have made this stuff up. I, I could, I never would have, would have saw this stuff for myself. I couldn't even conceptualize it. Um, it just still amazes me. You know, I remember, so I'm, I'm, I'm driving around, saving people, helping people, right. Doing all this stuff, not getting paid all volunteer. Okay. And, uh, so I'm the president at the time, right. Steel club serenity. And, uh, these two ladies make an appointment with me, uh, Cheryl Emila. Right. She was at the time she was the executive director, strategic alignment, innovation and strategic alignment for uh, an agency. The same agency, remember, that I went to intensive outpatient therapy at for years and couldn't get clean. Um, it's called SPHS. It stands for Southwestern Pennsylvania Human Services. OK, right by Pittsburgh, that whole you know area. So and then Rita Nichols at the time, she was the uh, center of excellence supervisor. So they make an appointment. Uh, they want to just talk to me. So they come there. I really didn't know too much of what this was about. Maybe our agency's working together. I, I don't know. Um, and they come in. They just, they come to my office and listen, Joey, we want you to work for us and get paid for what you're doing now. I says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get paid. I'm just, I just want to just go help. I'm just running around. I says, I want to be this recovery cowboy. I want to just save lives and just drive around and do what I can and stay excited. No, Joey, listen, we know what you're doing. And a lot of people are seeing, we've seen you in the paper, right? I was in lots of paper articles, tons of them, new, all kind of stuff. I was just being of service. Like I said, I was a recovery cowboy. You didn't need to pay me any money. I just want to be of service. Service is for those we serve. And that's how it was. And they said, no, listen, you got to work. Right. And I, I was just starting my associates at the time. Right. And I was going to, I was kind of thinking nursing maybe, or just something medical, Right. I, I didn't really know. Just something like I had that helping. I had that part of me that in my heart to wanted to help. But right, I, I didn't know what my purpose was. But like I said, sometimes doors of opportunity just continue open. And as we walk through them, as seasons change in our life, right? Not seasons like winter, summer, spring, fall, but like our perspective in life changes. And these doors open as we just like walk through them and just say, listen, like I do, I, I agree to do something, right? And, and like another door opens. And this was another door being opened. 
And I remember fighting them in this conversation, right? I'm, I'm literally fighting someone to pay me that wants to pay me because I don't want to get paid and I want to work for free, right? In, in, in the real world, that makes absolute no sense. But that's where my heart was, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I walk out of the office and I look up at the wall and there was a sign that I put up there. It says, expect a miracle. And I was like, dang, what is that miracle? And I realized the miracle was me. And, uh, you know, I, I started to work for them. And I remember um, in 2017, I started to work for the same company I couldn't get clean at. And I was an intensive outpatient, right? Rehab a zillion times and just can't get right, right? Be- behavior health units, wanted to kill myself, all that stuff. So I found myself working for a thing called a center of excellence. And what that is, is a program that treats opiate use disorder clients in Pennsylvania that was created by Governor Tom Wolf at the time because of all the opioid overdoses, right, in the the opiate epidemic. So that's kind of like the reasoning. But I was doing this before, like, this program was created and brought to fruition. I was doing this for free. I was doing the same, right, the same logistical work. So... I found myself walking in Galit and uh, it was crazy. And, and, and like, I, I couldn't, couldn't explain like, you know, what I was feeling. Like it, it was just, it was just amazing. And this was a miracle and I was a miracle. And I, now I'm working at this place and I'm, and I'm going out and just trying to be of service and I'm getting paid. And, and I, you know, and, and the miracle just kept changing. Um, I met some pivotal people along the way as I worked there. I met the uh, the chief medical officer of SPHS, which became my co-author of my current book, right, Dr. Scott A. Cook. He was a he still is a, a very very well known recovery medicine physician. You know, he did primary care. He did a lot of things. Um, he's mostly known for the, as the traveling doctor. He travels all around the world um, and just helps and, and and speaks and presents. But like our belief systems parallel on so many different uh, facets of, you know, of social work as a whole, you know, and uh, so we got together, worked together, and uh, you know, like I said, we still work together, and uh, became friends, and like Cheryl Emma which is now the chief operating officer um, of SPHS, became good friends with myself, and, you know, and she created that center of excellence, and so all these, and, and then, that, then there was the, uh, the, now she's the chief executive officer, Kelly McKevitt, and, and she was one of the most pivotal, you know, persons in acquiring me uh, there. And she knew like who I was. She saw me in the paper. She's a Mon Valley native. So all these members, like they were just, you know, kind of like divine appointments that like I would have never guessed they, they, they were behind the scenes and they saw me growing and they knew that where I belonged and it helped me. It's like they helped me open that door of opportunity when I wasn't strong enough to open it myself. And they, they you know what I mean? They were like a divine appointment. They, they carried me through a time in my life that I would have never got through. So I continue to work there and um, I stayed in school and I, I would have never. And I says, I don't know what to go through. And I, and I changed my, uh, I changed my associate degree and end up getting a, a associates of science in uh, in human services slash social work, and I graduated and it was like amazing, right? I got a degree. This is going from I was just about to kill myself across the street, 
you know, I, I did I barely graduated high school because I didn't like school because I didn't like myself because I got bullied every day. Right. And, and, and I couldn't I had a perfect storm of of degradation and dereliction in my life. But now I found myself getting a degree and staying in school and finding out that like I do well in school and I love being I love being in school and I love learning and I love just being there. And I stayed in there and I. I continue to get degrees. Listen, I got my associates then I got my bachelor's of social work and then I got my master's of social work and then I got my licensed bachelor license, uh, social work license and I got my my licensed social worker master's license. Right. And and like it just kept going. I just kept staying. And right. Like these are with like 4.0. This is with writing several books. This is with right. Uh, working there, doing well. This is with like finding my wife. Um, you know, she's in my book. It, it, it's part of like quit choosing and get chosen chapter. It's like, I wouldn't have chose any of this stuff, but my wife, just like my education and just like SPHS, just like club serenity, just like me getting clean, this stuff chose me. Social work picked me and I stayed and I kept, I, 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 I helped open that door of opportunity and I walked through it. And no matter what the struggles were, I realized that my struggles did not define me. They've refined me into who I am. And I started, you know, I started my doctorate school. And, and listen, I'm, I'm on like, I mean, I'm barely on any sleep right now. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing homework before this. And, and it's, you know, I'm trying to do it ultra full time, right? I'm taking a ton of classes. And, you know, next March I'll be, I can't even believe it, Dr. Joey Pagano. Right. And uh, I, I, I would have never dreamt this. I, I'm now a project supervisor of the SPHS Center of Excellence. Right. I'm, the, I'm now the whole supervisor of the same uh, agency corporation that I couldn't get clean at that, that I hated going to because, like, you know, it wanted some stuff for me that I wasn't ready to want for myself. I was ready to die. But, the, you know, with the disease of addiction was co-signing my every move. And and I just I just had some kind of faith and and, and let people believe in me and trust people. And uh, when the going got tough, just like this, not right. The tough got going, you know, and, and when these experiences and when this collateral damage of, of addiction happens. Right. And and all these things happen like I just got to have faith. It's going to be OK. And, and I just kept walking through these experiences, Khalid. And, you know, I, I found myself just continue to grow and continue to be of service and that's like i says like that's part of where i'm at right now and it's just it's just amazing yeah so uh, something that struck me while you were talking is um you not wanting to be paid is that because you didn't feel like you were worth it and if so how how did that change hmm and, and I, I think you're partly right. I think the question like answers part of that. You know, I always feel even up to this day. And, and I don't know, you know, it's just part of me, you know, I, I think just being an addict and, and, and having your own trauma, you like you, you still have your own struggles. I think a person still has their own struggles. So part of me, you know, always I always feel that I owe. I, I always feel that I owe. And, 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 you know, sometimes I'll have conversations with people and they'll just say, listen, Joe, you don't owe no more. You saved hundreds of lives. You, you, you did so much, but sometimes I always feel. So 
when I when I was uh, being a service for Club Serenity, I, I just didn't want to get I, I didn't want to get paid. And I just wanted to be of service. And I couldn't conceptualize anything past that. But sometimes sometimes opportunities present themselves. And I think just, you know, as a human being, right, and not just an addict, just anybody, like when sometimes we have these opportunities in our life and when our perspective, like our season, right, when it changes. And even though I didn't feel right, like sometimes like these doors open and, and, and they're open for a reason. Right. And, and I, I walked through that and just had some faith that just, you know, I still feel that I owe. Right. I still I've been I, I never stopped being a service. People say, like, how are you not quitting? Like, you just keep going. They said, nobody else does. How do you do that? I said, you know, part of me still feels like I do well. And I know I don't, but I still feel like that. And I still feel like I need to be a service and I need to help. And like I said, is, you know, I I was spared. I should have died so many times. But I I just feel in my heart that that I just need to be I just need to be there. and, And maybe I'll just if I just help one person. So part of me tells me that and, and another part still tells me that I owe you know um and it, it just and I think that's why I thought that part of it lead I, I I would say but I don't know just just being a service at all it always just like filled me up and, and I always know there's someone suffering and, and I was always able to empathize and just and go back to when I felt just not good enough and you know I uh there's always someone that needs help and and maybe maybe my heart like listen like i don't know i'm always trying to help and i never had like listen i i remember at a point growing up i always thought like i was weak and, and, and like i always felt different like I, because i felt kind and i and i felt empathetic very easily and, and I, I thought like you know we come from that dogma right the, those those kind of or just say those beliefs in our country where like some in some avenues that's looked at as weakness Right. Like, you know, you don't want to look at that, but like, that's all that's who I am. I just want to help people in whatever capacity I can. I'm not saying I want to be a martyr for, for, for any of these populations, but like, I want to be there for the people that can't, like, I want to be there for my friends that didn't make it. You know, in my book, I talk about getting my degree and I remember walking up to get my master's and just remember a conversation I had with my, one of my friends that he wanted a college degree, right? When I didn't even want one. And I couldn't even conceptualize that or see anything past where I was at. And he he did. He saw that, but he didn't make it. He died of an overdose because he didn't stop using. And sometimes I wonder, like, why did I get spared? I used for 21 years. I used heroin a, a zillion times, right? I, I, I robbed a gas station. I could have been killed so many times. I tried to kill myself. All this stuff. Why didn't I die at those times? You know, and... And sometimes it's just easier to like quit questioning that and trying to understand. I'll go crazy if I try to understand that. Sometimes, like in that moment, getting my degree, I, I just got to accept that. And and I was spared for a reason. And, uh, you know, and part of that is like why I feel I owe. I just I just want to be of service and I, and I just want to help people. But like I said, helping my season changes and I'm able to help people in different in just different ways, you yeah. know. And, and that's just what happened. We all find our purpose. And sometimes our purpose changes, you know, um, and that's what I feel. Yeah. So you've mentioned that next you are going to be a doctor. Yeah. What, so what is next for you? What do you think is your next season? 
Well, here's what I here's here's where I felt getting led. So my wife's in school right now, too. She's getting her bachelor's of social work. Um, she'll graduate next May. And I believe um, I'll graduate next May, technically in March. But I think I'll have to wait till May to get my excuse me, doctorate of social work. So technically we are. We'll be both social workers. So um, just like Dr. Cook, right, because I he, he's an inspiration to me. And, and like I says, I, I love him. At, at, we share so many of the same beliefs. So, you know, he has his traveling, the traveling doctor, and he does that. So Jody and I formed our own business. And, and, and it's more be revealed with that. We're the traveling social workers. Right. So what I feel where my heart spoke to me is I we love Jody and I love traveling. Right. We, we, we love traveling. Uh, we love the beach. You know, uh, we don't go there enough and we love helping people. We share a lot of that a lot of the, uh, you know, those uh, characteristics. So that being said is I want to we created this traveling social workers. And, uh, you know, I would say hopefully next year more will be revealed about this. But, you know, I just want to travel. Uh, like I said, I love my job. I love the clinical world and everything. But, you know, as I'm progressing in my life, um, the door that's opening, like you said, that season where I feel that I'm getting pushed into is I want to travel. I want to maybe do private practice therapy, maybe virtually uh, throughout the world. And, and, and while I'm able to do that, I want to just travel and speak and, and help people. You know, speaking is something that for whatever reason, you know, I could do it, you know, and it's just something I've been gifted with, um, you know. So that being said is I, I want to be able to, you know, I want to I I've been creating trainings. I'm going to offer hopefully uh, CEU credits. Um, you know, I want to travel to different uh, rehabilitation centers, speak and give people hope in that way um, all over the world. And, and you know, we're going to see what happens with that. But, you know, I, I that's happening at the same time is, uh, you know, my book's coming. It's actually coming out. We pushed the date up. So now it's, it's actually coming out April 25th. So we're looking at 13 days. It's coming out. So we pushed wow. it up. Yeah. I, I'm so excited. So, you know, I've, I've been, uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of book signings and, uh, you know, I, I want to, that's what I want to do. And, and maybe I, I've been blessed with the gift of gab and be able to speak because, that my purpose is like, you know, is evolving and, uh, you know, it's going to be hard walking through that door. I mean, you know, I, I love SPHS. I'll probably stay there in some capacity, but, you know, uh, I never know what, what the future will hold, but I want to be pushed into, you know, uh, I just, I just want to just trust the future and, and trust where I'm going to be. Like I said, I love the center of excellence and, and I don't know, I mean, will I still be there? I might still be there, um, you know, in years and, and, and maybe continue into maybe executive management at SPHS, but, you know, whatever happens in that in that uh, you know part of my life, the traveling social workers is definitely evolving. Also, so you know, whatever I'm going to do, it just uh, I'm going to just trust that process and uh, and just be of service. And just like I trusted Cheryl and Rita and Kelly with Club Serenity and, and SPHS, I I, I got to trust what's next uh, for the traveling social workers. You know, and I guess trust, and, and I think that's that's where I'm going. That's amazing. Um, so, here's something that I feel like will be really beneficial for anyone who's listening, because I think that all of us 
either know someone or have struggled struggled with addiction ourselves what do you think what is the best advice that you can give someone who's worried about a friend a family member that they believe is going through addiction oh wow and i speak a lot about this in my book and uh like i said recovery is individualized um you know and, and and like i said there's i would never claim to know what's best for everyone um, and I make sure I, I, I put that as a statement in my book. Um, I'm a clinician and I have a lot of, lot of experience and I'm an addiction or, you know, I'm a recovering addict that suffered from addiction. Right. So just because I have all that, I still don't know what's best for everyone. But what I can say is I offer solutions which can apply if they're right. They can apply to a person if, you know, that person is going through, you know, whatever, you know, modality of care that, 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 you know, that they can, they could have. So for example, um, one, just don't give up. And, and just like I, you know, my mom, you know, speaks in the book about that. It's just, sometimes you got to discern. And when you think of discernment, sometimes you have to love people from great distances. So yeah. it's about no addict left behind to leave. It's about don't give up on someone no matter what, and, and just continue to love them through their process. I got clean, like, I don't even know how many times, 25, 26 times, right? If they had given up on me the time before that, I wouldn't be here. But my mother had to learn to love me from far away. And she had to tell me no. And she had to understand that no was a complete sentence. And she had to create boundaries, right? Because people become like like toxic, like spiritual vampires. They'll like suck the love right out of you. And, 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 and you'll enable them, right? Because I did this. My mom did this to me, right? And I did this to people, you know, because I, I tried. I, but I forgot, like, listen, I got to have, I, you have to have boundaries. And I have to, you know, I'm sorry, but you're not getting any money off me. And I'm not going to give up on you. Um, but I'll help you get into treatment if you're willing to go. Right. And, and like, those are the things that like people had to do to me. Right. I, you know, when you overdose, uh, like if I'm not ready to get clean, then my mother couldn't say the right thing to me. But if I was ready to get clean, then she couldn't say the wrong thing to me. So in other words is, you know, all you could do is, is, is just, you know, tell someone you love them and help them if they're willing, if they're willing, like people had to meet me halfway. So what I would say is, Maybe that can apply if someone else is suffering to someone else. Once again, I don't know uh, the cookie cutter. There is no cookie cutter process to recovery. There's just loving them, try not to enable them, right? Work for me. And, and, and like I said is, I had to go to jail, right? I, that's what, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I had to. I'm not saying someone else has to happen, but, you know, I overdosed a million times. And, and like I says, I, you know, and I lost, I abandoned my son. I abandoned marriages. Like that stuff's not powerful enough to stay clean. I'm sorry it isn't. Maybe for some people. But once again, it goes back to like, you know, recovery is so individualized. Is love someone, love them from a distance, you know, if you have to. But don't give up on them and meet them halfway. And those are the things that work for me. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's uh, really powerful. And I know that that's with so many things like you can't um, help someone if they, if they're not ready to be helped. Yeah. And so I think it's a really powerful message though, because we're taught, I, I feel like to, there's this kind of an idea of you got to get away from the toxicity and you have to kind of 
leave them to their own devices. And what you're saying is that that's true in some instance, but you still have to be there when they're ready. Yeah. And not completely close that door. And I feel like um, that has some similarity to what I've done in my life. Uh, I'm a domestic violence survivor and I've had family members who have entered into domestic violence situations themselves. Mm. And it's kind of the approach that I've been taking with them of, I'm here. I do not condone this. I can't be a part of it. Um, but when you're ready, I'm going to help you. That's it. That's it. It's so hard with domestic violence. And, and, and I, I can I can totally identify because, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's even harder because the thing is, it's like they have to, you know, I want to help someone that's going through that. And it's like, you have to call, you have to call the domestic violence shelter. I can't call for you, you know, and people want you to do that, but you can't, you know, when you deal with that, the, 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 you know, the seriousness of that, and that's how that goes. And it's just tough. And the person's like getting hurt at daily, but you know how uh, it, it's just, it's so hard. It's so hard. Some, some people just don't, they're not ready. That is so close to addiction. It's the same thing. If you're not ready to turn that person in, then I can't say the wrong, right thing to you. You know what I mean? Oh, and I totally think that it is being addicted. Yes. To, yes. You know, it, like you said, it's, it's, uh, this, uh, the hell that you carry with you. Mm. Right. Yeah. And sometimes that hell is really comfortable. Yes. And you sit in it. Mm. Um, and until that hell is so uncomfortable that you have to get out of it, like that's going to be your life. That's it, Kali. Distorted comfortability in familiar pain. Yeah. And yeah, that's just addiction. One on one, you know? It's a shame, but that's 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 kind of like the monsters we live in, you know. And uh, they just, you know, the toxicity of those those addictions just, you know. But there's, like I said, there's ways out, and, and not everybody gets out, you yeah. know. I you know I could easily just made one decision, you know, uh, when I was sitting on that curb, and if I'd have made that different, I, I wouldn't be here. Uh, but for whatever reason, like I made a different decision, and. I was able to live and, and, and like I said, I, I didn't have to go to school and all that, but I just believe that, listen, I, I everything I made is just to better someone else. I got a governor's pardon, right? Like I might've got those criminal charges, but then I applied for a governor's pardon and years later, right? I have no record. I don't have anything. You know, I was pardoned by the governor. I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the middle of a, of a discharge upgrade with the military, you know? And, and like I said, my life just goes on and on and on and on, you know? Just, uh, but it's just like just showing up and walking through those fears and believing that there's light at the end of the tunnel, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's, uh, you know, substance addiction, whatever it is, like, it's hard going through that. But if you do, like, there is light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and there is, there is hope. I mean, without I really, yeah, I really love that you said that you applied and got a pardon because mm -hmm. That in itself, I think, is is something so inspirational. Like, yeah, you can make a mistake. Yes. And 
still not be affected by it the rest of your life because we sometimes think about like Mm. oh this is a point of no return and yeah there are moments like that in our lives but there are also ways that you can come back from almost everything and even if you can't necessarily take it away you can uh kind of give like you said you owe something right Yes. You can give back until the scales are made somewhat even. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I keep chasing that. And uh, hopefully one day I feel that they're even, but I'm going to, you know, until then, you know, I want to just keep serving. And uh, like I said, some days I'm serving my family, right? Some days I'm just being there for my daughter and uh, letting her be autonomous in her decisions. And, and, you know, I told you, like, we're very authoritative, right? We try to meet our, 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 my daughter, uh, my son, where they're at, right? And we try to let them express and, 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 you know, and just show them it's okay to just tell us that they're struggling. Like if you, you know, everybody's, all the kids are smoking weed or their vape pens and all that stuff is, right? She's 14, that's everywhere now. And I try to express that like, you know, welcoming uh, environment in our household. So, right, and addiction's like real, right? At 14 today, it's crazy, you know, kids. And, and I want her to like, know, like if your kids are doing, if your friends are doing something, just learn from Jody and I, my wife and I, right? And, and it's those same principles, um, yeah, right? You know, of domestic violence, of, of addiction, of all that stuff where where they feel that like they're locked in a corner or they, they can't get out and they get codependent, right? That was just me, like codependent on a drug, whatever you're codependent of, right? They, I, I want her to feel that no matter what's the issue, no matter what the issue is, she could come to us. And, and I think we, for the most part, we got that. Um, I can't stop. I can't stop her to use drugs. No, no one was able to stop me. Right. I come from a family that was like very authoritarian. And you would think, right. Middle class. Um, right. You, oh, it's, it's fine. Right. Not my son. Not my son. Right. You know, but the truth of the matter is, is addiction, just like everything else in this world, doesn't discriminate. Right. It just doesn't. It doesn't matter who you are, movie star, you know, uh, wherever you come from. The, the lowest of socioeconomic levels, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, uh, bullying and all that stuff's real. Now it's even it's even more advanced now, right? My daughter has to deal with cyberbullying, stuff that we didn't have to deal with. And now they have to deal with that. And you wonder why all this stuff in our world is, is crazy. You know what I mean? Because now stuff has progressed. So now like addiction is like, it's, it's not like starting at 17, 18, like it's starting at like 12, 13, right? Even younger, you see this. And, and, and all this stuff is, is happening. So that's what we try to do, Jody and I. And, uh, you know, we, we try to just, you know, bring that bring that welcoming attitude into into our family. Yeah. So we're, we're coming up on an hour. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about the books that you have and the different uh, things that you have going on next. Okay. So you said you're uh, an author of three books. Yes. Yes. And where can we find them? What are they called? Okay. Well, the first book I've written um, is called When My Heart Speaks, I Listen by Joey Pagano. Uh, It was more just like a little reflection book. It's on Amazon now. Um, I'm getting ready. I might take it out of print for a minute. 
uh, and just change some things. Uh, I'm not sure, but you can get it on Amazon right now. Uh, it was my first book. I self-published it. Um, you know, listen, I sponsored this guy in my program and uh, I was I was I was writing on Facebook all the time and I, I couldn't see myself as a writer. And and he says, man, you should write a book. I said, what do you mean write a book? I can't write that well. He said, you, you write pretty decent. He's, I said, how do you know? He said, listen, I'm retired now. He's an older gentleman. And uh, I was an English professor. He was at, it's the same college I, I'm at. I was at right when I got my associate. So I wrote that book and, and I did it. And, you know, it was only I think it was a, maybe 70 pages. And, and you know, uh, my writing skills, it, it progressed. So that was the first one. Um, the second one was more uh, uh, a little bit more advanced. You know, it was called uh, One More and Not Enough Inside the Mind of an Addict. So it tells, you know, part of my story, just just some little insight of some some thinking of an addict. Um, and, you know, that's on Amazon. Uh, and it also, you know, that was just like a continuation of the first book, uh, just a little longer. And uh, so the, the next one was several years later, and that's getting released on April 25th. So how that came to fruition, um, about, it was like three in the morning. And uh, last year I was uh, taking a shower and I closed my eyes and I had a thought and I woke them back up. I said, huh. I said, I need to write a book and it needs to talk about not giving up on someone no matter what. But remember, like the themes we talked about prior in the show was like, sometimes we don't want to give up on someone, but sometimes we have to love them from a distance. Right. So that's what I I, it's about. No addict left behind. And and as I got out of that shower, I dictated this to Dr. Cook. I said, listen, we got to write this book. And I'm just dictating this whole thing to him and messenger. And, uh, you know, we uh, called it, it's a recovery medicine state of mind, kind of like a spinoff of, uh, we like some rap, Jay-Z, empire state of mind. So we, we named it that and it kind of rhymed and, and it, but it made sense and identified with, with our story. And, you know, it's not an autobiography of myself. What it is, is um, it, it, it's definitely, it shares a lot of my experiences and it, it tries to help people apply to these situations if, you know, it fits them. It has, you know, me in there. It has my mother talking in the first person about like the overdose. Um, There's some very emotional parts. My son, my sister, my brother, um, all kind of uh, different situations. You know, the stigma like it, it, it's, it rips I mean, uh, a whole, it, it, you know, a whole new level of stigma it's in, into our nation. Like what's going on, the stigma, what really happens in the ER, the stigma, what really happens in the professional sense of, of uh, first responders, like all that stuff. And it just gives these tangible experiences. If you're an addict, if you're a parent of an addict, if you're that professional, like what really is happening in our world? And then you know, Dr. Cook speaks and and we go into a a chapter about solutions. Once again, I don't have the solution to recovery. You know, I don't know it all or anything. Um, We just split that chapter up into family, social work, family and medical solutions. And we talk about how it's individualized and there's many paths. And yet we don't endorse any specific path. if, like I said, it's just to love people through however they need to recover and, and don't stigmatize them while they're recovering and, and don't worry about the dog or the doctrine, which 
just because you think this is right. My dad used to say, why can't you just get clean today? And, and, and I says, well, why can't you just quit? Well, if I could just quit, I wouldn't be in recovery. Uh, you know, and, and like I says, that those thinkings uh, or those themes, right, are keep us in, into the dark corners uh, where an addict lives. So I talk about those dark corners and I talk about the stigma, the dogma of our nation in all those areas. I talk about the different methods of recovery. I talk about when harm reduction is all we have. We meet people where they're at. I talk about no veteran left behind. Right. It's no parent left behind, no child left behind. So those those populations can see what really happens when it when you when you have these perfect storms of addiction, mental health, stigma and all this stuff combined. And, and you know, so I talk about all that. So, you know, Dr. Cook and I, uh, you know, we wrote that I, I you know, I, I, I want to just help people. And that's where like the season of my life that I'm in and it's being released, you know, everywhere. Um, well, Amazon online, and then, you know, soon to be, uh, to bookstores, but, uh, you can get it on amazon.com on April 25th. That's awesome. Um, and how can people reach out to you if they want to work with you or, uh, in your oncoming upcoming business or do, do you work with people individually on, yes. on it? Yes. Uh, like I said, as I'm preparing to travel to speak uh, around the world, um, I offer, uh, like I said, private one on one therapy uh, virtually, you know, anywhere in the world. Um, like I said, that's coming. That's a traveling social worker. Um, you know, uh, you could find me on my website, which is called no addict left behind dot life. And you could book me from speaking on there. Um, you know, I, I, could, I could travel and do that, whether you work at an agency, uh, like I said, a conference, maybe there's, you know, anything of that capacity. Um, I'm working on, you know, uh, doing CEU trainings on stigma, harm reduction, things like that, social worky stuff. Uh, and also you could find me on all the social media sites, um, you know, Joey Pagano, you know, Instagram, Grateful Clean, uh, Facebook, No Addict Left Behind. I'm on all of them. So you'll find me, whether it's Joey Pagano or No Addict Left Behind, or whether it's the traveling social workers. Um, and you can book me for all that. So yeah, you could, I mean, the, the best place is, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger. And so I'm, I'm on all those, uh, those sites. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being here, Joey, and sharing your story. It's super inspirational. And I really hope that this this finds its way to someone who needs to hear it. Me too. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And if you uh, want to hear more, please reach out to Joey. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please share, like, subscribe, do all the things. Make sure that this gets out and make sure that it gets to the person that needs to hear it uh, because you can change somebody's life completely. Have a great night, and I will see you all next week for another episode. Bye. Thank you.